The Glue, the podcast about business development, marketing and communications in professional services. So welcome to The Glue. I'm James Stringer, a former BD director and now trainer, consultant and coach on business development, bids and offsites. This podcast is called The Glue because the BD marketing and communications teams in professional services are the glue that holds the whole thing together. This episode considers both how we can get hired for our next role, but also find the best people when we're looking to recruit. We're going to consider the following topics. The importance of creating a coherent story if you're looking to secure a new role. How to differentiate yourself from other candidates. How you can increase the chances of securing the role, even if you don't have the direct experience that they are seeking. And how should we be altering our approach to hiring and being hired in the new hybrid world? To help me discuss these topics, I'm joined by Lara Mitchard and Simon Moffat. So Lara has 20 years of recruitment experience, with the last seven years specialising in the professional services sector. She has recruited business services roles at all levels, from assistant to head of, across legal, accountancy, consultancy and real estate. And for the last four years, she has specialised in recruiting marketing, BD and comms roles from executive to manager level for Totem Partners. So welcome to The Glue, Lara. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me. Simon has been active in the legal sector for over 23 years, working for Dentons, Alan and Overy, Charles Russell Speechleys, and until recently as head of BD at RPC. The last 10 years has seen Simon in senior roles where he has spent a great deal of time building, developing, leading and managing large teams. So welcome to The Glue, Simon. Thank you, James. Lovely to be here. So we're going to start with a question... When is it okay to go for your next job with a new firm? Do we think that there's a minimum period that candidates should take as a guide, Lara? Yeah, I think it depends on your reasons why and what you feel you can offer in your next move. Typically, I think there's an expectation to be in a role for at least 18 months before moving on. That tends to give you enough time to really learn your craft and to get some good accomplishments under your belt, which you can then take forward in your career. However, if the role or the environment just fundamentally isn't for you, then it can be counterproductive to stay somewhere for too long. I wouldn't encourage anyone to stay anywhere where they didn't feel comfortable. So if that's the case, I think it's really worth identifying the reasons why you want to move. And if you can't rectify those things internally, then move regardless of the time. So, Simon, how important is a coherent story as to why you're looking to leave your existing role? In short, uh, very. Um, I think having context and understanding a candidate's motivation for a role is probably the number one thing for many employers. I think candidates need to be prepared to answer questions such as, you know, why are you leaving the current role? How does this role fit into your wider ambitions? Why this particular firm and so on? I, uh, you know, I would suggest thinking about uh, what, what, what is it that's actually got you sitting down in this room or in this virtual room in front of the interviewer and then simply explaining it to them. And I think if you don't have a coherent story, 
then as an employer, you know, I am left guessing, you know, um, I, and I may intuit something that, or that there's something more to a situation than there actually is. I think as a candidate, the one thing you don't want to do is put doubt into the mind of an employer's, uh, of an employer really, uh, because that immediately puts you on the back foot. So I think the key here is to be, you know, upfront, um, to be honest and really to be clear about what, what, what your story is. And if, if your leaving situation is a little bit tricky or you remain redundant, that's okay. I think that's absolutely fine. You just need to explain it in as positive way as possible. But it, is it okay to say that you don't like your partners or your boss or the culture of the firm? It's a tricky one. Um, I mean, typically people have more than one reason um, for looking when they're ready to move. And it's normally a combination of things outside of the obvious progression and salary increase. Often there's an environmental factor at play there as well. So I think being an open and honest in an interview is absolutely key. It ensures that you come across as being authentic. um, But being negative about an employer in any way is just not professional. And I think it can really take away from your interview if, if that sets the tone for your interview then. So I think it goes back to what I was saying about really being able to identify the reasons for those particular feelings and then being able to positively translate them into how it's helped you to develop or grow or learn. And Simon, your view about saying you don't like the partner, your boss, the culture of the firm that you're leaving, what's your view about that? Yes, well, yeah, that's an interesting one. I, 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 not all cultures and style, firm styles are the same. Uh, and let's face it, not all of them work perfectly. We know that cultures can change, you know, in the same way, you know, sometimes personalities and working styles can clash. We, we, you know, we all know that. However, it really, in my view, it really isn't a good look to be bad-mouthing former employers and colleagues. And, and frankly, it's pretty unprofessional. Uh, it's, it's too personal. It's too critical. It's, it's negative. Uh, and none of these qualities are the sorts of qualities that most employers are looking for. So I don't think it is the right way to go about it. You know, if as an employer, you know, by highlighting these negative things to me, then I, you know, my immediate reaction would be, well, you know, this person's quite negative. They're quite problem focused. Maybe they're not very good at developing relationships or they failed to win partners over. Or maybe they're a sort of constant complainer. And so perhaps the candidate could be the problem here. I mean, of course, it's, it's, it's impossible to, to, to verify either way. But that's that's sort of the reason why I think I would I would stay away from that. Another challenge I think that exists, isn't it, is that that mixing of the generations in terms of the hiring decisions. So we're used to Generation X, you know, frankly, my generation okay. <laughs> <laughs> interviewing Generation Y, you know, millennials and I my observation is these generations can have really different views on the questions of things like work-life balance, flexibility, commitment levels, and being able to satisfy ambitions. It's a really good point. And I think I think the difference between those generations is, is a real challenge, uh, especially for professional services firms. And it's a conversation that we have with our clients often. I think it's worth understanding what those differences are if you're a candidate, if you're a millennial and you're meeting a a Generation X um, interviewer. I think it's worth thinking about what's important to that 
generation, frankly. And and I think there's a real kind of desire from Generation X for um, direct and concise communication. They want to see a really good work ethic demonstrated um, with a willingness to go the extra mile. And they really value teamwork and collaboration really highly. So keeping that in mind, when you're giving your examples at interview is really key to be able to talk the same language. Simon, when you're interviewing, how should candidates best deal with this? And what are you thinking about making sure that there's going to be a good fit? Yeah, ooh, this, this is a really interesting one and something I think that's, that's just very, very common. I think as, as both of you have said previously, you know, each generation has different perspectives. And my view here is that it's, it's about a balance here for both, both sides. As an employer, I do think it's incumbent upon interviewers, employers who often are from Generation X to be much more open to the different wants and needs of the younger generations and actually more flexible to those needs. And I think firms are getting better at that. Definitely, there's still some way to go, but we're definitely getting better. Uh, it, it, for me, it's no longer a case of, you know, this is how it was for me. So you just need to suck it up and get on with it, which, you know, I've heard numerous times <laughs> during my career. But, uh, you know, to the point around balance, I think equally for, you know, the Gen Ys, the younger generations, I think they need to take into account, you know, how a firm works, uh, what their business needs are, uh, and again, to be open and flexible to those requirements. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a job they're going for. It's a bit, a little bit like doing a deal. I think you know, each party needs to see things from the other's perspective. I think they need to adapt their styles accordingly. I think they need to be flexible and prepared to compromise in order to basically reach an agreement that works for both. I mean, one thing I've found as an employer that works quite well um, is when I bring younger members of the team actually into the interview process where appropriate. I think that can work very well because they can have open and honest conversations with peers of their generation and they can ask, you know, what it's really like and, you know, and, and equally it's a good experience for them. So moving through to getting the role that you really want, what are the most powerful ways that you're seeing that um, can, successful candidates are differentiating themselves from other candidates? A lot of this will sound quite obvious, but you'd be amazed how often people don't do the basics. So Putting the work into your interview preparation is key. And I'm not talking about just looking at the firm's website. You've got to really research the firm and the people that you're meeting. You've got to look at their credentials. You've got to look at news articles online, read any relevant thought leadership pieces that the firm's published, listen to a podcast if they have one available or watch a video, which most firms will have as part of their careers page on their website now. And and again, really understanding why you want to make that move and can clearly and concisely articulate that to your interviewer, what your motivations are, what your drivers are. And I think the last thing that people really need to do to differentiate themselves is to think about actual tangible outcomes that they can work into their examples. So being able to talk about an increase in engagement in percentage terms, or being able to talk about actually what their part was in a particular project and what the outcome of that was. And I do find that candidates, particularly more junior candidates, can sometimes struggle with that. Often they're not told about that as part of their role. So go out of your way to ask those questions of your managers uh, and your senior leadership team and get those answers. 
So Simon, a critical question, I think when people are thinking about a new role, perhaps looking at job descriptions, et cetera, is that balance between uh, skills and experience. So in your view, uh, which is more important, experience or the right ingredients? The short answer to this, James, I think is it could be either or both. And that might sound like I'm sitting on the fence a bit there, but, 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 but I mean, that's the reality. It will very much depend upon the nature and the level of the role and what that particular employer is looking for. You know, I've had situations where relevant experience has been really, really vital as I've needed somebody who could literally hit the ground running, would understand the nuances of the environment they were going into um, and so had experience of that situation before. But equally, you know, I've had situations where, you know, experience really hasn't been a key factor at all. And so having somebody with the right skill set, the right behaviors, the right mindset, the sort of willingness and ability to listen and learn has been actually much more important. And I think um, regardless of which way you, know, you look at it, if you, even if you have a number of very big brands, big names on your CV and, and, and reams of experience, simply presenting that experience without demonstrating any competencies is, is not going to get you the job, whatever level you're at. And how should candidates get that across? Uh, if they if they do have the right ingredients, but perhaps you know their experience on on paper is isn't quite as strong as they would like it to be. Yeah, and that that can be challenging, James. I think I think it, this is all about transferable skills. So it's about really looking at the role and the firm that you are that you're applying for, uh, and think about your own uh, skill set and things that you have done that you can transfer across to that particular situation. I mean, I'd be using examples uh, of perhaps where you've been in a situation where you haven't had the experience before, but you've gone on to solve a problem or a particular challenge. And that could be in a working environment, but equally it could be uh, some of the most powerful examples I've had have been outside of a working environment. So I think showing that you have the right behaviors, the right mindsets, and a willingness to listen and learn are are really, really key. And another point here is just demonstrating that you're really interested, enthusiastic. I mean, that goes a long way in itself. And actually, I've got a bit of it's a slight analogy here with sort of high level sport. And, you know, coaches in high level sport are often not looking for those who've played at the very best clubs or those who are constantly trying to show off their individual abilities and skills without any context. They're often looking for those who are listening those who are applying their skills uh, to a particular situation or a drill as they've been instructed, and those who've got that, that learning mindset, they're constantly looking to learn and improve. But actually, for me, it's probably more important. And how are the best candidates marketing themselves? Are they being, are they being proactive? Are they being proactive on LinkedIn, you know, being, being, seeing that they're even connected to their existing firm, et cetera. Are they, are they using social media? We know we've, we've done an episode on LinkedIn uh, in the past. Are they, are they marketing themselves effectively? Yeah, look, I, I think it's a passive market at the moment from a candidate's perspective. It's, and so they're not necessarily out there marketing themselves proactively for a new role. But if you are thinking about making a move, then you really do need to think about what your digital footprint looks like because you can be guaranteed that your interviewer is going to be checking you out before you meet them. So particularly with marketing and BD candidates, that's your whole reason for being is to raise the the 
profile of the firm to raise the profile of individual stakeholders. So you need to be doing that yourself. So as you said, at the very least, follow your own com- your own company. But you know, liking and sharing your company posts, sharing any particular relevant sector news in the sector that you're working, commenting on other people's posts. That's, you know, something that's really key, I think. Um, and also be mindful of your personal social media, make it private. <laughs> so yeah, you'd be again surprised how many candidates don't do that. And that's not necessarily the impression you want to lead with sometimes. So when you're seeing candidates come through, Simon, is a CV still important? I think CVs are still very important, and I don't think they're going away for some time. Whilst LinkedIn, for example, you know, is, is a very useful tool. It's very helpful um, to get a broader picture of a candidate. A CV is, a, is an opportunity to give a tailored summary you know, of why that person should be considered for a specific role. I can liken it a bit to the the pitching process you know this is this is your opportunity to to demonstrate why you are the right candidate for this particular role challenge situation and you need to tailor it and linkedin doesn't do that because by its nature it is focused on a much broader audience so i think a cv still is very 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 important and actually by doing a tailored cv for a particular role it demonstrates commitment we recently had a situation where a candidate was asked for their cv uh, they, they were applying for a role, but they refused. And they offered up their LinkedIn profile and said that they could talk to the specific questions during the interview process. Um, and if they progressed to the latter stages, that, that then they'd pull their CV together. <laughs> so not the point. Okay, the, You, know, you, you want to show that you want the role. You want to show commitment to that role. And, and needless to say, that particular candidate did not leave a good impression and, and is now very much you know, on, on, on the back foot. And let's say you, candidates have got through to interview stage. It strikes me as that one of the things that's really changed over the last three years or so is kind of how interviews are being conducted. You know, maybe you could talk a bit about what, what now is the most common way of actually kind of going from a sift of candidates through to being interviewed. But I think particularly focus on, you know, what are the challenges of of those being done virtually or being done in a hybrid world and you know what's what's successful how candidates successfully adapting to that yeah it's it's a good point actually I think you know we've all adjusted to teams and zoom now you know it's part and parcel of everybody's daily life so people are much more used to it than they were at the start of the pandemic when interviewing at that time was really challenging but I think you know Candidates, by and large, want to do some sort of in-person interview, and obviously firms would prefer that. I think first-stage interviews via um, via a virtual video call is the preferred method for everybody. It's easier to get into people's diaries, especially if you're trying to coordinate a couple of people, um, and people don't have to take as much time out of their day. And it's an initial fact-finding conversation for both sides, so that you know that works well as a platform. But it's not without its challenges. Um, obviously, the obvious ones are technical challenges. So. I always advise candidates to give themselves plenty of time when they log on to to make sure that they've uh, allowed for the inevitable last minute Zoom update that will happen when you don't need it to. Have a neutral background behind them and make sure they're in an area where there aren't any distractions and people aren't wandering around and they can speak freely. An interview will always be better, I think, for both sides to be in person where possible. It's so much easier to build rapport. 
And and as a candidate, I think you you want to meet you know you want to meet people face to face. You want to be able to look them in the eye, and you want to you want to see the offices apart from anything else, or something which I think Laura mentioned. With virtual interviews, you know, it is difficult to read the room. It is difficult to build that rapport, and it's harder to look at things like body language. One thing I I think about certainly on the virtual side, a challenge on the virtual side is is that they tend to be a bit more. It's a slightly more relaxed environment. James. So, you know, you can, I think that's a positive thing, actually, because interviews are, it's, it's quite a formal, often nerve wracking experience. And so online, I often see personalities shining through a bit more, which is a good thing. But the flip side of that is it's much more common, and I've seen it a lot, for candidates to be not as well prepared as they might otherwise have been, or maybe not to quite take it as seriously as they would do if they were going into the office in person. And I think Laura talked about, you know, the importance of your environment. I mean, things like background and lighting and clothes and pets. And I've, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've interviewed candidates where I've had, in terms of backgrounds, where I've had their washing hanging out over their right shoulder in a this particular case, it was it was their underwear throughout the entire interview. I've had others where they have not thought again again about their background. And behind them has been a shelf littered with empty gin and wine bottles. Again, you know, not putting over a sort of professional appearance. So I think my, the point I'm trying to make here, I think, is that, you know, if you were going into the office, you make a big effort, you know, you prepare in advance, you you think about how you're going to get there, you know, make sure you get there early, make sure you look smart, you know, you, you're ready to answer all the different questions. It's no different in, in a virtual or a hybrid environment. And that would probably be my one piece of advice, you know, make sure you remain professional and prepare properly. And so, Simon, what changes of focus should people have when they're interviewing for more senior roles, what sort of change of emphasis do you do you typically see and, and welcome? I mean, there's an awful lot, both at junior and senior roles, that will be, of course, will be the same. I think the key difference for me at more senior levels is focusing on achievements that perhaps have had a, a wider impact on the firm and perhaps on the strategy of the firm, its key clients, maybe the top or bottom line. And I'd expect to see more examples of where that particular person has had ownership or responsibility of things like, you know, managing teams or larger teams, recruiting, developing teams, training and so on and so forth, maybe um, having those difficult conversations, leading on budgeting, influencing key partner stakeholders on significantly important decisions for the firm, perhaps leading on or, or supporting strategically important projects and processes or contributing to change. Um, so those are the sorts of things that I'd expect more senior people to, to demonstrate. So yeah, I think you know if you're going for a more senior role than you currently have, you know, I would focus on the experience you have gained that demonstrates that you are operating now at that higher level and, and just that your title doesn't currently reflect that and provide examples. I agree with what Simon said, but I also think that being able to demonstrate a high level of intellectual curiosity is key at that level. So asking questions, really relevant questions about the sector, asking questions about the firm's strategy and their future plans. I think that's really important rather than just sitting back and answering the questions you're asked. I think there's a lot to be said for the type of question a candidate asks you as an interviewer. I think that will really demonstrate quality candidate to you. So the last thing I want to do on this episode is to thank my guests, Lara Mitchard and Simon Moffat. Thank you very much, Lara. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you, Simon. No problem, James. Many thanks for inviting me on. We have exciting plans for future episodes, so please look out for updates from me on LinkedIn. You can find other episodes of The Glue on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And please follow me or subscribe so you don't miss any. Goodbye. Goodbye.